Okay, welcome back everyone to another wonderful week of Parsha class. Parsha's Bishalach this week. This is the the uh, the week where the Yidin, the Jews, they leave, they left Egypt last week's Parsha, last week's Torah reading. And now they are um, faced with this big uh, stressful situation. They are being, I don't know, uh, probably, I could probably find a fancier word than stressful, but they're being chased by the Egyptians and they come to the to the to the the ocean, not the ocean, literally the yams of the sea of reeds, and they are basically locked in. They have the Egyptians coming on one end, they have the raging sea on the other side, and they have nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. They are stuck. That is how the parasha starts off. What do they do? They do what all Jews do in stressful situations. What do they do? They look up to heaven and they pray. They daven. They cry out to heaven. And what does Hashem do? Like in all good stories, what does Hashem usually do when you daven and you cry out to Him? You could answer. You don't have to be on mute. Anyone have a good answer to the question? What does Hashem usually do when, when we cry out and daven to Him? In fact, I was just listening over in the other room. There was a woman's shear, a woman's uh, class with Tehillim going on now. And someone is speaking and she is darshaning. All she's talking about now is how we have to daven, we have to daven now this time of, of the war in Israel and things that are not as simple as, as they may have um, seemed to be in, in the beginning. Things are taking a long time and the, the, the goodwill or whatever you want to call it of the different nations of the world is not so... Uh, uh, they're not as benevolent as we would like them to be, and etc., etc. And how do we react? And the answer is, Davin, Davin, Davin. We have to believe that Hashem is listening to our prayers. We have to believe that Hashem is listening to our tefillahs. And that's the message throughout the generations. We always have the same message. What happens when we're faced with a tragedy, when we're faced with a predicament, a, a, a complex situation, and we're faced with all these different types of um, scenarios, how do we react? We daven. And what happens? Hashem responds. Hashem answers, right? Usually, right? Is that, did, I, did I guess the right answer? That's what everyone else was thinking? Hashem answers. Except, except that over here, something funny happens. If anyone has a chumash, open up in front of them. Page 370... Um, 371 in the Chumash, chapter 14, verse 15. What does Hashem respond? How does Hashem respond? Do you have it inside? Steve, I want you to read it in, out loud to everyone, unless you don't know how to read English. You good? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> that would be my wife. She's from Sullivan. <laughs> I uh, where I have a different Chumash. I have uh, this one. So oh, that, okay, fine. So it's chapter 14, verse 13. Verse, sorry, chapter 13, verse 15. You're you're in Parsha Speshalach? You got it. That's the All right, chapter 14, verse 15? Yeah. 
So this is just to set it up exactly very clear. Fourteen. Way, uh, yeah, the way we set it up is that the Jews have just cried out to Hashem, right? That's in. Uh, got it. Right, the Jews have just cried out to Hashem in 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 the previous verse verses Yud. But you and me, they're very scared. And they cried out to Hashem, and then. They went to Moshe and they had a little complaint to Moshe as well, but we're going to skip that part for now. They cried out to Hashem, and then in chapter 13, verse 15, what does it say? Hashem said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Speak to the children of Israel and let them go forward. Very good. So beautiful. Ah. <laughs> so, the, so the obvious question, if anyone was listening to Steve's beautiful um English rendition of the of the of the verse. What does God respond? Why do you cry out to me? God says, "Go jump in the into the and jump into the lake. Ha ha ha! Go jump into the sea." What? And all of us should be thinking in our heads: Is that the answer? Is that really the answer? Doesn't God respond by saying yes to our prayers? God says, why do you cry out to me? Why? Well, what do you mean, why? Isn't that what yes, we're supposed because, to do? Yes, but we're supposed to trust enough to do it. Okay. Okay. You're, getting, you're, you're touching upon something that maybe we spoke about. But how does that answer the question? Aren't we supposed to cry out to Hashem? Yes. So how can God tell us? Go jump. Why are you crying out to me? Go do it. Jump. It's like, no, you're supposed to cry out to him. That's what we're supposed to do, no? Yeah, but were we confessing or were we really in anguish? Okay, that's that's an interesting point. Um, I would I would be very, very uh hard pressed to, to squeeze that out that, that they were kvetching. I think even sometimes when we feel um a little bit desperate in our lives and we are in desperation and we feel like we have nowhere to turn so we channel that feeling to Hashem we channel that feeling to prayer that's also a very wonderful thing and a noble noble thing even though it may not have been a first reaction but as long as it's our second reaction we can take our feeling of, of desperation and say well now let's channel that to Hashem now that we feel alone we feel like we have nowhere to turn to okay fine now we can look at Hashem and say now Hashem please help us please help us that's also okay that's perfectly fine it may not be the pinnacle of perfection, but that's definitely a very, very viable, very, very uh, uh, respectful uh, level. That's not a, it's not a, not, it's not a bad thing. Fine, very good. So, but, but you touched on a very important point, which is what we're going to get up to. So, this question is addressed by many of the commentaries, including the 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 um, primarily the Arachayim Akadosh. Arachayim Akadosh is one of the primary commentaries in the, um, on the Chumash. I'm, I've quoted him before many times. I'm sure even if you're not familiar with him, with his work, but you've definitely heard of him before in the class. I'm trying to find it in my notes and I can't find it. So I'll just have to say it from memory. I don't know where they went. It, it, it ran away. Um, so the Arachayim Lakadish responds like this. Sometimes... Sometimes the Jews aren't 
not necessarily Jews, but sometimes people aren't necessarily worthy based on their own merit for something to happen to them. Now, they really deserve it and it's supposed to happen, but they need a little bit of something extra to like, so to speak, like push them over the top to make it, to make them actually be worthy of meriting that certain, um, either a blessing or a miracle or whatever it may be. So the Ochaim explains that in this situation, what was going on was that Hashem was telling them that right now, at this point of time, like what Linda was saying, right now, at this point of time, your your avida, your what you're what you're supposed to be focusing on right now, is 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 believing in Hashem. That's your primary uh, service to God at this moment in time, is believing in Hashem. Yes. Prayer and tefillah is always a noble thing, always a righteous thing. But at this juncture in time, your primary service to Hashem is supposed to be belief in Hashem, giving belief. Now we're going to get back to the, this doesn't, I don't know if this satisfies everyone perfectly right now at this at this point, but we're going to get back to this and we're going to really tie it all together and it's going to be very, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good answer. Okay. I'm going to ask one more question now. And with this question, we're going to bring it all together. This question I've mentioned many times in the class over different um, parashios. Um, and I'm going to talk about it now, again. The question goes like this. Over the years, over the years, we as a Jewish people have had so many tragedies, so many calamities, so many pogroms, so many crusades, Cossacks, Holocaust, you name it, over the years. Expulsions, um, mass executions, um, terrorist attacks. We have been um, we have been the nation with the most persecution with no close second. How many people, if you had to put a number on it, do you think um, let their lives go, took their lives for the sake of Hashem, for the sake of heaven? Al-Kiddush Hashem in Hebrew. How many people over the years? Right? Think about the people who got burned at the stake in Spanish Inquisition. Think about the people who died in the Holocaust because they were Jewish or because they refused to whatever it may be. Think about the the don't think about anything if it's going to give you nightmares. But how many people, right? Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, a lot, right? Okay. Now take that thought in our heads. Okay. Of Chaim Shmulevitz, the famous Rosh Yeshiva of the Mir Yeshiva, who escaped through with his Yeshiva through Shanghai, China. And he ended up reopening or being part of the reopening of the yeshiva in Mir, in, in, in Israel, in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. He poses this question. He says, I don't understand it. When it, the Jews came to the sea, the Medra says that no one wanted to jump in. Everyone was pointing fingers. And no one wanted to jump in. Everyone was scared to jump in. Until one Jew came along 
and he's a very, very famous Jew. His name was Nachshon ben Aminadav. In fact, in today's uh, um, yeshivish slang, in our uh, yeshivish uh, um, um, Yiddish um, slash whatever you want to call it, um, lingo, if you, calling a person a Nachshon, a Nachshon, calling a person a Nachshon, is like calling a person a go-getter, someone who jumps in, someone who's able to be a pioneer, someone who's willing to do th- something and be a, a go-getter and do something that no one else is willing to do. Till this day, the phrase exists. And Nachshon ben Aminadav went and he jumped in. And the question is, he was the only one? Isn't isn't the commonplace in the past 2,000 years? How many people were willing to risk their lives to die for the sake of heaven, for the sake of Hashem? And all the and by the by the sea, no one was willing to do it besides a one Jew, one one Jew out of six hundred thousand. Only one guy was willing to do it. There were plenty of big tzaddikim, plenty of big holy people. Could be even holier than him, probably at least a couple. And he was the only one. That's 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 that's. What 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 was that supposed to mean? Why why is that the uh, why was he the only one that was willing to, to, to jump in? This is Rav Chaim Shmulavitz's question. Well, they they had just been slaves for how many years? And, you know, a lot took place. No, you're very good. It's a good question. But that's a good point. It's a good point. But... If if we go into those the details of those, then we can we can try to compare and, and try to measure all the different tragedies and and with someone who lived in 1944, uh, having lost all of his loved ones and etc. So I'm not going to go down that road. Whether or not uh, this person was any whatever, but but it's 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 a valid argument. It's a valid argument. But I don't know if that's I don't know if it's going to be satisfactory to answer the crux of the question. Over, I, I need to hear your voice here. Maybe there was others that jumped in, Rabbi. He was just the first. Okay. I hear that. But from the Medrash, it kind of sounds like no one wanted to do it. And everyone was like pointing fingers and then no one really wanted to jump in until he jumped in and then everyone got the courage to jump in because he took the first plunge. So, yes, eventually everyone went in, but, but in fact, you're touching upon an interesting um, thought from Rabbeinu Bechaye, who's another commentary on the Chumash, not exactly as well known as the others we mentioned. Rabbeinu Bechaye says that, I think it's based on a medrash, that every single person that jumped in had to have his own sea split for him, which means that the way we see it in the picture books, the way we always view it or, or visualize the the thing, the, the, the image of the sea splitting before everyone, everyone marching through. Um, according to Rebbe which is maybe one opinion, but it's a valid opinion, and it's even just for food for thought, he says that every single person had to take his own jump, his own plunge for it to split. It was easier because Nachshon did it already, and you knew that, he did it already, but every person that did his own. In fact, there's another even more I don't know, I can't call it extreme because he's a he's one of the, the, the basic uh, commentaries in the Torah, but even more extreme uh, version of this, that every step 
that each person took. It didn't split throughout the whole sea. Rather, every step a person took, he had to step into the water, and then it split a little bit more. And he had to step into the water again, and then it split a little bit more. And then again, and it didn't just like split for you. Every step was another thing. So that's, again, food for thought. But back to this, Orchaim Shloritz answers the question like this. With a powerful thought that is so deep, this, this idea is so deep that we have to really, really focus. And once we understand what he's saying, it will open up the whole, the whole thought, the whole, the whole idea. The whole thing becomes so clear. He just says like this. He says, a person can die or give up his life for the sake of heaven. You know why? Well, there's two reasons why. One, because since Avram Avinu, our um, great ancestor, already was willing to give up his life to the um, to die and jump into the fiery furnace in the hands of Nimrod the king. I don't know how many of you are familiar. I'm assuming you're all familiar with the story that he jumped into the fiery furnace and he got saved. So since he already did it, he already sacrificed his life for, for Hashem. There's a famous piece from Rav Chaim of Elijah, the grandfather of the Yeshiva movement that we um, um, are part of. He lived in the 1800s. And he says that there is certain parts of a, a, a Jew's DNA that have been developed from Avram Avinu. Since he was able to give his life up for the Jewish people, for, for Hashem, I'm sorry. So now we all have it in our DNA. It's easier for us. It doesn't cause the same amount of... It's not as difficult. In fact, as scary as it might sound, it's quite possible that since the Arabs are children of Avram also, that they have this part in their DNA, and that's why they're willing to give their lives away in, in suicide missions, um, which is a very scary thought. I, I don't have any proof that this is accurate or true, but it's a quite quite possible and very apparent if we just look at the facts on the ground in the, today's day and age. But be it as it may, sacrificing one's life for Hashem is an instant, instantaneous, one moment um, of giving that up with the expectation and the knowledge and the belief that in a moment I will be directly connected to Hashem Himself and I will be sitting right next to Hashem in the most exalted place possible because I gave up my life for Him with the greatest mitzvah. Says Rav Chaim Shmulevitz in this week's parsha by the splitting of the sea, that was not what Hashem asked them to do. Hashem didn't ask Nachshon to give up his life. Hashem asked Nachshon to jump into the water. Hashem asked everyone in the Jewish people, everyone in Klai as well, to jump into the water with the full conviction and the full belief that he will be saved. Imagine that the thought process of jumping off of the whatever, I don't know, when I was a kid, it was always the Twin Towers, jumping off the top of the Twin Towers with the full belief, full, complete belief that you will live to tell the tale because Hashem will guarantee, will perform you a miracle for you. 
that is a lot more difficult than jumping off with a belief that I'm going to meet Hashem in a minute and it's all going to be over. It's jumping off with the full conviction, the full bitachon, the full faith, the full confidence that Hashem tells me to jump in the river, jump in the, into the sea, and He will save me because He promised to save me, and I need to believe that He will save me. That is so much more difficult. That is something that no one was able to do besides for who? That's for Nachshon. Yeah. Questions. Can I ask a question? Sure. Yeah. Do I remember hearing correctly that um, the sea didn't actually split until it was like up to their chins, yes. right? So it wasn't like every step they took it. Oh, it split a little bit more and more. I thought it didn't split until they were like drowning almost. No. So no. 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 Exactly. So everyone had to go all the way until the nose until they couldn't breathe. So they were drowning, and then it split for them. Now, according to the opinion I mentioned earlier of Rabbeinu Bechaye, it was up to the nose, and then as you go into the ocean, it doesn't stay there. It goes very, very deep. It goes into 30, 40, 100 feet, 200 feet. I don't know how deep the Red Sea is, but then they needed to, every step they took, according to his opinion, they actually needed to take the step into the water again for it to split again for them while they were traveling through the, the water. It wasn't like a tunnel. It's like a suddenly appeared. That's that's one opinion, and it's an opinion to, to bear in mind. And there's a he, he brings it out from the a, a reversal of different words in the in the verses. Where in, in one verse it says it one way and the other verse it says it a different way. He explains that that's clearly why the Torah reverses the wording. That's one opinion. I was just saying that parenthetically. It doesn't really have any Intrinsic connection to the it doesn't have any connection to the actual um, idea I'm saying now, but it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thought to put in in, in parenthetical. Um, so basically, so Chaim Shlavitz explains and he says that the 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 to jump into with the full confidence that Hashem is going to perform a miracle for you, that is something that is so much more powerful. That is something that is so much more difficult. That is something that only Nachshon is able to do, to jump in. Now, let's go back to our original question. Okay, there's a famous Medrash that says the sea did not want to split for the Jewish people. The sea tells the Jewish people, well, not tells the Jewish people, they don't talk, but in the higher spheres, the the Sar, the the, the uh, they have a fancy English word for it, but I don't remember what the English word is. The sar, the um, um, celestial something, whatever that, that governs over the over the the, the sea. The, the we'll call we'll call him the malach, the malach that governs over the sea. Um, says why should the sea split? The sea has a job to serve God and the laws of nature to flow this way that way. Why should we solve some split with the Jewish people? And Moshe, so to speak, tells the sea because Hashem says, because we need to go through. And the sea says, I looking at the Egyptians behind you, and they serve idols. I'm looking at the Jewish people. They also served idols. The Jewish people were in a pretty low state. They got saved from Egypt for a few, for a very, very, very minimal amount of merit. They got, they were promised. Um, from Avram Avinu, from Abraham, they were promised that they were going to get saved, and they had merits. They didn't change their clothes, didn't change their names, and they didn't change the way they spoke. But for the most part, they weren't taken out of Israel. Sorry, they weren't taken out of Egypt based on their own merits. They were pretty, uh, pretty low situation. So the sea says, 
Um, they served idols, you served idols. Why should I split for you? You look like regular, run-of-the-mill um, people. You don't look like you're anything special to split for. Says Rebbein Bechaya, until they say he saw the Nachshon Ben Amina. There's different opinions in the commentaries exactly what made the sea split, but according to this opinion, the sea um, sees, so to speak, Nachshon Ben Amina's action of jumping in and they split. What's the meaning behind this? So Rabbi explained, based on this of Chaim Shlavitz, that Rav Chaim Shlavitz explains that this action of was so unique and so special, it was completely above and beyond any expectation that any human being could perform. This is something that was so unique and so special that the sea recognized that although, yes, they were all serving idols, although, yes, they were all, but this, so to speak, tipped the scale into the Jews' favor. The fact that Nachshu went and did something extra special, extra unique, and he went completely above and beyond his nature to jump in with this conviction, with this bitachon, with this confidence that Hashem will guarantee completely, right? He, he will, Hashem will for sure perform a miracle for me. With that bitachon, the sea says, because of that, I'm going to split. So now we asked before, why did it, why was it that Hashem um, tells them go jump in instead of Hashem listening to their prayers? Because the prayers are very good and they're very important. But at this point, there wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because they weren't really worthy. Sometimes prayer is very important, but sometimes a person needs to do action as well. A prayer plus an action. And in this instance, they need to do an action as well. Hashem is not telling them, no, don't pray. Do this instead. Hashem says, pray, pray, pray. Do the prayers. But you also need to show me something. Show me something concrete. Show me that you're extra special. Show me something that you should go up against your nature so that the sea should go against its nature. And so to speak, we're asking the sea to go against its nature. You go against your nature to show us that you're worthy, so to speak. And this is a very interesting. I just read in, in a book. I, I read this book many, many years ago, and and this this uh, book written by Rabbi Emanuel Feldman. Rabbi Emanuel Feldman um, practically single-handedly rebuilt the um, entire community of Atlanta from a little um, place where they barely had a minion to a beautiful, wonderful community with hundreds and hundreds of families. Um, and he wrote a book basically about all his experiences. And it's a very funny book where he writes a lot of humorous stories. As you can imagine, a rabbi in a small town, a lot of uh, interesting people, stripes and sizes, all different characters, all different walks of life. But he has one story that I read last week that really hits the nail on the head about this, this idea. He says a girl um, comes over to him, and the background of the story is not so important. The parents weren't religious, and they were very anti, and whatever. And the daughter was very intrigued by Judaism, and that whole background is not so important for us. Basically, he was talking about a whole different punchline in his story. But basically, the question, the daughter, the girl proposed to him, and says, how come we don't see miracles nowadays? God, you read through the Torah, there's miracles here, miracles there. How come we don't find miracles nowadays? So imagine if, if one of your um, either children or business associates or cousins or whatnot asks you the question, how come God doesn't perform miracles nowadays? So how would you respond to the question? 
I'm getting a lot of blanks there. I would say the state of Israel, the creation of that <laughs> is a miracle. Okay, that's a good And the answer. fact that it still is around seems like... I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Anyone else? It's a miracle that your heart continues to beat every single second of Beautiful. every single day. Beautiful. That's that. That was his answer. One of his answers. He had two answers. That's beautiful. So I'm gonna stop there because you just said the answer. So Rabbi Feldman responded like this. He said, first of all, it's not true. God performs millions and millions of miracles every day, like Arthur just pointed out. Like Art pointed out. Because everything's a miracle. We all we live our whole life. So everything's a miracle. The fact that that we are able to move our arms, move our legs, over here, speak, etc. Um, everything is a miracle. Not not a nice nigla. It's not an open miracle. It's a nice nista. These are hidden miracles. And then Rabbi Feldman said, which is the part I wanted to focus on. <coughs> he said something fascinating, which is exactly what we're talking about. He says. Tell me, when was the last time you did something extraordinary, extraordinary for God? When was the last time you went really out of your comfort zone? Something that was really powerful for God, for Hashem. Every day. Oh, well, maybe, hopefully. When was the last time you really felt the pain and the crunch? Of someone who really like like someone who lived uh, I don't want to give really bad examples but think about someone who who we were talking about before who gave his life or was willing to risk his life for for Hashem. When was the last time we really lived in a in a in a in a scenario? We lived through a scenario where where we really felt we really gave. Well, it up. can be a different thing. It can be a different thing for different people. I mean, some people. You know, somebody might give um, a huge amount of money to, and, and, and very uncomfortable for them, but they know it's the right thing to do, and so they'll give it. Um, there, there's some people who do, who do things that, that are uncomfortable for them to do, but they know that it's a mitzvah, but it's not an easy thing. I think there are things that people have patience with maybe a special needs person and spends time on the phone with them. That, that, that is a really difficult thing to do, but, but it's for Hashem. So I think, I think people can do this, can do this daily. You got it. People could. 100%. Exactly. That's exactly the point. That was Rabbi Feldman's point. Precisely. So he tells this girl like this. He tells this girl, if you do something extraordinary out of your comfort zone, something really special, I can't promise. But the way God works is God works with midah, connected midah, measure for measure. If you do something extraordinary for him, it is very, very likely he will do something extraordinary back to you. And it may not be clear and apparent as a miracle that all of a sudden mun is going to start flying down from the heavens for you. But sometimes you'll see. You'll just see the hand of Hashem. If you do something extra special, you can see the hand of Hashem. It just comes right in and maybe sometimes saves the day. Sometimes of, uh, of, of, of strife. Maybe sometimes 
um, gives you something that's extra special that you had no expectation for. Or maybe something you expected and you hoped for that falls on your lap because of it. That's Rabbi Feldman said, which is exactly what we said. When the Jewish people needed that miracle, they did something extra special, something extra above and beyond. They changed, went above their nature. And Hashem reciprocated by doing something against the natural um, ways of the world. And he split the sea. We we all have like listen. We all have things in our lives where we where we where we have opportunities to that we we can just react to people, for example, naturally, and and retort to someone, re- respond back to someone who 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 hurts our our image or our ego or whatever maybe, and and those are opportunities we have to 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 squeeze our mouths tight, and 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 go against our nature. These are these are things that, that generally speaking always have positive effects. There's a famous sugula, famous um, I don't know how to translate school in English, a good omen or a, uh, if anyone has a better word for it, something to give you good merit to that when a person doesn't have any children or other other um, things that a person needs a, a Yeshua for uh, um, to if someone gets embarrassed in public, to ask that per- and it doesn't person doesn't respond doesn't answer, to ask that person for a blessing, to ask that person for a bracha. Why? Because of this. Because a person and there's countless stories. There's different books that I've read. Countless stories of people that that, that they, they there was I don't remember all the details. Different stories about um, someone who. I can't remember which I heard. I read two versions of the story of two different rabbis, but I'll tell you the story. The story is the same story. And there was a two uh, neighbors in, in the old city of Jerusalem or somewhere in the old town of Jerusalem somewhere. And one of them did not have any children for many years. And the other one had a hustling, bustling house full of many children. And the... Um, one woman who didn't have any children, she was a very, very pious woman, and she uh, she was uh, doing laundry one day, and she had her beautiful tablecloth uh, hanging out to dry, and she had her beautiful uh, whatever it was, all these different things, and everything was nice, crisp, and clean, and she had all the time in the world, and, and, and this neighbor was so jealous and so resentful. She has her six kids flying all over the place. And she's busy making supper and chasing after them and getting the kids in the mud and clean clothes. What clean clothes, right? And, and right, it's happy they changed the kids' diaper last week. And and these are the and, and she's so jealous of her friend that she can't stand it. And she just can't stand it. How her friend has so much time and she's so relaxed and this and that. And for some reason she didn't feel the pain that her friend didn't have any children. It's a different story. But she was so upset that as her friend walked into the house and she climbs up the stairs to her apartment, she snips the clothesline. And all the beautifully clean laundry falls on the floor into the mud. And she says, now she'll work a little bit hard and she'll kind of get what I go through, something, something like that. Okay. Anyways, this poor young woman goes downstairs without uttering a sound and she picks up her laundry and she starts laundry. They didn't have any washing machines in those days. They were talking about scrubbing everything in my hand, a four or five hour job in those days, whatever it may be. Um, and that's the story, except that not 
hours later, this woman, her youngest child, a two-year-old boy, is critically ill. All of a sudden, just critically ill. In bed, crying, deathly ill. Call doctors, nothing doing. No idea what's going on. No idea what's, what, what the issue is. And they finally they call the, the rabbi to come in, see maybe they can give him a blessing, something, change the name. I don't know. The rabbi looks at the child, looks at the mother, says, Is any, anyone you uh, you hurt recently? And the, the mother says, yes. And she recounts, right, with egg on her face, she recounts the story, says over the story. And she says, go ask her forgiveness, go ask her mechila. And she runs over to the neighbor and she begs her, begs her forgiveness. And the neighbor, being a wonderful, pious woman, of course, forgives her right away. The child becomes better again. Okay. Nine months later, this child, this mother has a baby. Nine months later, this woman who didn't have a child in ten years has a baby, and this baby becomes the one of the greatest leaders. Of the Jewish people, and and he passed away like around five years ago. I can't remember. I don't want to say the name because I don't remember. I heard two versions. I'm pretty sure the story was said of Shmuel Vazner, which is the Shevet Halevi, but Kobe was said about someone else. I, I can't I can't guarantee which one it was said about. But it's one of the the great leaders of 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 the of the last previous generation, and she merited to have someone who was a great leader from someone who didn't know if she'd have any children at all because she didn't respond. And just the basic idea of not responding is, is one specific avenue, like, like Linda mentioned, there's many avenues of, of to, to bring that out at this point. But specifically, when someone um, really lays it thick on you and you don't respond, that's such a powerful um, thing. I just, I can't, I can't, I would be remiss if I didn't say this story over because it happened last two weeks ago to my own brother. And it's so funny. It's such a funny story that 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 I, it, there's no punchline to this story, but it has to do with what we're talking about. Um, but it's such a good story that I have to say it over. So some schools have this custom that they, well, whatever you want to call it, that they all say Kaddish by the Bima, by the Bima where they read the Torah. So my brother lives in a certain city you never know in today's day and age, everything is viral. Everything goes around the world. I don't want to give too many details in case someone knows the guy. I don't know who the guy is. but And he lives in a certain city and a little shul over there. And in this city, some of you met my brother, actually. He spoke in Nusahari on some on Sukkot, um, one of the nights of Sukkot. Um um, in between Milchamarev, and he was hanging around here. He came to visit us, um, and he was diving there. And he's a, he was a little I don't know what happened exactly, but he was caught uh, uh, caught in the back of shul when they were trying to say Kaddish. And you know, as you know, we're, we're in the middle of our eleven months. We're saying Kaddish for my mother, and he started saying Kaddish in the back of the shul. He's caught right, and a guy starts screaming at him, "Who do you think you are saying Kaddish from the back of the shul? How?" Dare you say Kaddish not from the Bima? How dare you? I'm not gonna say I'm into your bracha. I'm not gonna say I'm into your Kaddish. And this guy's blowing his top of my brother. And if it wouldn't be so sad, it, it was. It would be funny how, how like you're screaming, lacing at some young fellow, thirty years old, who lost poor guy, lost his mother, and he's saying Kaddish, and he has the chutzpah. 
chutzpah to say kaddish from the back of the shul instead of saying kaddish from the viva. I know you guys. I don't know what, whatever. You, I think he was not happy about the fact that he was a call rabbi doing it. You guys, you're trying to do it on purpose. You're uh, you under the whole rant and in the middle of shul, in the middle of everyone, and and my brother didn't say anything. Just moved on and walked away. And to me, and sometimes it's it's so clear that it's a test, and it's so clear that there's something fishy with the other guy, and it doesn't actually really. But even so, it still hurts and it's still painful, and you don't want to get embarrassed and it's really in front of everyone in the show. And to not respond and to not answer is so powerful and so important. And I wish that I can say that the ending of the story is that we all won the lottery after it and all the farkuses became wealthy <laughs> and whatever. But it's too close. Maybe in the next week if we won the lottery. But <laughs> as of now, um, stay tuned. Um, but that's the story. And it, again, the power of not responding to someone, the power of just going against your nature and keeping your mouth shut and like Linda mentioned, all of the other different areas where we can go against our nature, these these things are so powerful. And these are really where Hashem can reciprocate and Hashem does reciprocate and go goes against the laws of the nature of the world for us in return. Have a wonderful Shabbos, everyone. Thank you. You too.